0: In the hymnals, we get the, the song we're going to sing for us for today. The song, Isn't Eve Wonderful? Thank
1: you, I Okay, I send right to that. <laughs>
0: Everybody, and we'll say that several more times today. But uh, let's read the Christmas story at least one part of it, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and at the end, for it, we'll read Matthew chapter 1. So Let's look at Luke chapter
1: 2,
0: verses 1 through 11. It's kind of a tradition to do this, and once a year we read the passage of scripture of these two books, and um, so let's do that together, okay? So you find Luke chapter 2, and let's do it like this. I'll read one verse, you read verse, the next verse, and then we'll take turns, okay? Got it? Yeah. We'll take turns. This is called Responsive Reading. We're going to go with this chapter today. So I'll read verse 1, you read verse 2 it would take turns, right? Up to verse number 11. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed.
1: <speaking in Hebrew>
0: and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Jesus also went out from the city of the sea of David which is called Bethlehem because so he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being grave with child. And, and so, so it was, that while they were there, the days, days were accomplished, and, and she delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And, and there they were in were the same country and
1: shepherds abiding in the field, field. He watched over their
0: them and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid.
1: And the, and the angel said unto them, Fear, fear not; for, for forgiven, behold, Lord, I bring you good tidings of great and joy,
0: which shall be all people. people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Uh, good verses to read, good remembrance for us Christians, really quite happy to come to this time of the year to recognize and remember and to honor the birth of our lord now everything that's connected to his birth everything that's connected about his life his death his resurrection his returning all has to come back to when he was born and so christians ought to be joyful on this day that we think of as his birthday whatever the birthday was we are happy that he was born of course and so i want you to remember this That A lot of people have said different things about the birth of Christ Um, Scholars, contemporaries, historians, church people, religious people uh, Even the writers of the Gospels, they have their statements about the birth of Christ Matthew talked about he came from the right lineage Luke talks about, uh, more details about his supernatural conception Mark doesn't say anything, he just gets right into him being busy, busy, busy John talks about Him being the Son of God. But what did Jesus Himself say about His birth? Have you thought about what Jesus said about His birth? What He said out of His own mouth, what He said as to why He came. So I want you to frame this like this. People have said things about, and even the Gospel writers about, why Jesus came. Let's see what Jesus Himself said about why He came. Wouldn't that be kind of interesting? First hand account of why He came. This is called source document. What others write about history is a little bit different sometimes than what the source document says. I hope it's still alive. My phone just fell. In a new one anyway. Yes. Luke chapter two. Turn to Luke chapter two. Now let's see what Jesus said himself about why he came to this world. Luke chapter two. Now, of course. As a baby, he could not speak. Even though he was the son of God, he did not overstep the natural course of human development. So you don't have anything to about what he said as a baby other than what a baby says. What's the first thing a, a baby says?
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know what the baby says at first, but I know that when they begin to say things, it's very exciting. We don't have any record of what he says as a baby even until up to his 11 years old. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 verse number 41. Luke
1: 2:41.
0: Now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was 12 years old nothing was said. Well, a lot of things were said likely, but nothing is recorded about what Jesus said. Now, you might ask yourself, why is that? Well, the answer is, I don't know. Nobody knows. It just so happens that the Lord chose not to have a record of what He said up to this time. So, people speculate, people guess, people wonder. People say they found some lost books about what He said, and this is part. No, it's not. It's just left to guessing. If God wanted us to know, He would have written down some things for what He said before His twelve. But He says this in verse number 42. For when He was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Now you could read that and say he was a disobedient son. Well, you can read it another way as well. Verse 44. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, one of these journey, they must have been quite distracted, not notice that their son's gone for a whole day. <laughs> A lot of people going back and forth and busy with adult conversation and a little 12-year-old son tagging along, assuming that he's there. Maybe he was there at the left, probably so, but then he got... Um, today would be kind of scary, wouldn't it? We would say kidnapping. We would say all kind of horrible things could have taken place. Yeah. And that's why people today are very careful about where their kids are. If they're out in the mall or different places, we want to be sure that their kids are right next to them. And don't wander off things like that um it happens sometimes sometimes it's innocent and sometimes it can be very dangerous uh when nathan was very small walking the streets all the he got separated from us i don't know how that happened because i got distracted as a father looking at something that's interesting to me he walked around and he bumped his he bumped he into the corner of some steel shelving bump left a hole in his head right here Looked like the cyclops and then another time he got lost. Maybe at the same time. But I got all over him. I just, I just tore him apart. Say, don't you ever do that
1: again! All the over.
0: It was horrible. <laughs> uh, you know, first child, right? Get real serious. <laughs> Second child, not too serious. But um, uh, he got separated from them. Verse forty-four. When a day's journey. And they didn't notice until a day journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. Verse forty-five. And when they found him not, they turned back again into Jerusalem seeking him. Of course, they would have as caring parents. Verse forty-six. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were a maid, and his mother had said unto him, Son, you think when she said son, it was kind of like a scolding tone? Son, son, maybe she was thee, but taking it as a, as a parent, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. You can understand that. But look at verse 49 his answer. He said unto them, How is it that you sought me? you not that I must be about my father's business. Now, that, that verse, those words are the first recorded words of Jesus Christ. And he is telling us why he was born and why he came to this world. Don't you know? Don't you know that I'm about my father's business? I'm doing my father's. I came to do my father's business. Now the word business, my father's business, we all have had contact with people who've come to our state from another state for a business convention, a trade show at a convention center. They've come for three days per week. They've come representing their country, uh, their their company. They've come to do business, make contests, get some sales potential and all that, and to get exposure for their company, for their business, whatever they have uh, that they're offering to the public. And they have come, someone has come, Represent their country their business <laughs> and they and they are going to be here taking care of business in this state at the convention center and when it's over they hope to have a bunch of different contacts a bunch of different text messages emails they hope to make some business from that but then they will return to their home base their, their, their company and give a report or at least say we you understand the image here they come for business jesus said i am here on business on my father's business i'm here to do some business for my father it was not making money it was not making profit it's not about anything except something spiritual now we understand that jesus came to set up his kingdom that's pretty much the statement of the bible he came to do that and when he was born the prophecy was that he was going to be a governor and rule all people of his kingdom there should be no end so that part is all part of the mix of why he came but he did say I've come to do my father's business like a business trip and so what was the business that Jesus was on there are many kinds of interpretations as to why Jesus came but look at the words of Jesus himself he had come he said to do his father's business his father's business now we'll have to come to uh, John chapter 4 and John chapter 9. I'll read that to you. John four thirty four. Jesus said, my meat, now as an adult. Now time has passed. From 12 to 30, time has passed. And now he is in his public ministry as an adult man, as a full grown man. Here he says this at 12. And so now he says as an adult man, John 4. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And so he is saying again, I am here for, for reasons that are so eternal, reasons so, so specific, it is to do my Father's will, to do his work, do work on his behalf. I am doing work for my Father. In, in John chapter 9, Jesus said this, I must work the works of him that sent me, While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So Jesus very plainly said, out of his own mouth, I'm here to do something. I'm here on business for my Father, who you have not seen. He is in heaven. I'm here representing him. I'm here representing not my company, but my country. I'm here to represent not some corporation, but my my Father in heaven. So he is here very uniquely for one specific thing. To do the will of his Father. So Christmas, the birth of Christ is about Jesus coming to do something for his father. Not something casually, Not going to the park throwing a frisbee. No big deal about that. No, It's just relaxing. He says, I'm here on business. I'm here on business. And when you're on business, you're on business. When you're on the clock, you're working, you're doing something for your employer. You cannot, if you work with fellow Christians, you can't be you know talking all along about church and about the bible oh, i read a good verse you can't be wasting time like that when you're on the clock because you are doing business so you understand here that this is jesus saying with his own mouth i'm here on earth to do my father's business So keep that in mind what then is his father's business let's come to john chapter six this is jesus as an adult But he was born to do his father's business. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a very, very long chapter. Look at how many verses are in this chapter. 71 verses. Your memory verse assignment is John chapter (laughs) 6. After that is Psalm 119. If you can do that before the month of January is over, I will give you something worth your effort. Of course, I'm kidding. It is a long chapter, John chapter 6. It begins with the Lord feeding 5,000 people plus women and children. A great miracle took place. After that, in verse number 19, Jesus walks in the water. This other chapter begins, this long chapter, and we're working our way down to Him saying why He came and doing His Father's business. Now, in chapter 6 of John, verses number 32 through 40, look at that scripture. 32 through 40. begin at verse 30 they said therefore unto him what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee what dost thou work verse 31 our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat 32 now the lord picks up on the manna from the old testament Remember, remember in moses time 40 years god provided for them miraculous bread from heaven and the Lord says this in verse number thirty-two. After they brought this up, then Jesus said unto them, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven." Amen. Verse thirty-three. For the bread of God is He. The bread of God is He, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Amen. The Lord is transitioned from man that came down from heaven. Small, white. Now it's kind of a, a, a guess as to how this manna appeared in the wilderness. Every morning there was enough manna for there's enough. there's there enough manna for for everyone to eat. And uh, it was small. It was small. It was round. It was white. And the father was together for his <laughs> for his family. Uh, pardon me I got, got tickled here and so um, it came down every day for 40 years a real miracle it fed them it sustained them for 40 years of the wilderness it was an awesome miracle and on Saturday or uh, on Friday you had double the amount to cover up the Sabbath now he says in verse number 32 in verse number 33 He changes from manna from heaven. Uses that as a teaching point. Verse 33. The bread of God is he. Now he says it's not something. It is a he. It's not a personal thing. The bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. And giveth life unto the world. Now the rest of this chapter is really, really exciting. If you read it through a sort digest what he's saying here. But the manna that came up and fed them each day. Each day, they got something to eat. I mean, you can imagine what they did with the manna. They made, they ate manna as it came down. It was round. It was sweet like honey. They may have fried it in olive oil. They may have baked it. They may have eaten it as is. So they had these three ways to eat manna, but none of it sustained them through the wilderness. One 40 years, a miraculous thing took place. Everybody got to eat of this. The exception was if they disobeyed what God said, it would grow moldy and go bad, and then you would have nothing. you tried to be greedy about that. Things, there were some conditions, but the fact is, manna came down from heaven. Now, he's saying the real manna, the real manna, the real bread of God, is he was coming down from heaven. Guess what he's thinking at. Guess what he's saying. This is about Christmas. This is about the incarnation, where God, a spiritual being, became flesh, wrapped himself with human flesh. This is miraculous. This is all of God. He says, the real bread of God is he that came down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Just like the whole nation got fed, the whole world can be fed not with real manna, but with spiritual manna. Now if you drop down to some other verses, uh, after he said in verse number 35, he says this, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst now when they ate bread they got hungry before the night uh, before the night was over and by the next morning they are ready to break their fast they were hungry again he says but this is a bread that comes out from heaven it's a he and uh, if you believe on me you should never hunger again and you should never thirst so you know he's talking about something spiritual not something material and literal he's talking about himself look at verse number 35 he says I'm the bread of life I'm the bread of life the bread of life, the bread that sustains life and the bread that gives life that's what jesus is about that's what christmas is about i am come to give life to people now look at verse number 38 just like manna came down from heaven verse 38 for i came down from heaven like manna came down from heaven so manna is a type or a picture of jesus christ coming down the son of god from heaven matthew mark luke john all have certain colors attached to their gospels uh matthew his color is purple for royalty and john is blue for heaven blue always represents heaven jesus christ came down from heaven and so in verse number 38 i came down from heaven just like manna came down from heaven verse thirty-eight, not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me once again he emphasizes with the exclamation point i have come to do my father's business i've come to do his will in verse number 40 verse number 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone of which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread of which cometh down from heaven. And then they complained and said, This is Jesus, son of Joseph, how can this be? Look at verse 47. 47. Really I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 48. I am that bread of life, Verse 49, your father did eat men in the wilderness and are dead, because it was a physical thing. Now, he says in verse number 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Verse 51, another punctuation, I am the living bread which uh, came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, of course, are stupefied. They're stumped. They're confused. Verse 52. The Jews therefore struggle among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Well, that's a logical question. Is that like Nicodemus saying, uh, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time through his mother's womb? Well, of course the answer is no. Looking at this words, the words of Jesus very literally. Jesus is going to explain to them what he means by eat my flesh and drink my blood. He does not mean this in a literal sense, obviously. Now let me think with you. You think with me. Why is this statement not to be taken literally? Look at verse 54. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Verse 58, this is the bread that is cometh not from heaven. Now that your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth this bread, his flesh, shall live forever. Is that really what he intends to to teach, that you eat my flesh? Logically, why do we know this is not what he's saying? Well, first of all, well, first I want to know if you have something going through your brain, your head. As you try to understand this, like they tried to, but they dismissed it, like this is not possible. Because the only thought of one thing. And what's the other thing you're thinking about that gives you the clue as to what he means as he explains, eat my flesh, drink my blood? What is it called when you eat someone's flesh and drink their blood? Or what is it called when you eat someone's flesh and not drink their blood? Cannibalism. Cannibalism. You ever see animals eat other animals like lions and dogs and leopards and cheetahs and everything like that and how they eat other prey alive? It's pretty... Fascinating and yet quite brutal at the same time. And uh, if if you if you thought if you thought there was not a god, just watch how animals behave and how they hunt. It is amazing how they hunt and how they attack. And uh, it's anyway. Um, so what makes you think that this is not a literal statement? What what's what's going on up here in your head? What we wanna first consideration to know is to say this is not literal. Okay, don't have all this, I'll tell you this. First of all, First of all, who knows how tall Jesus was? Nobody knows. Who knows what his weight was? Nobody knows. Whatever his size, his height, and weight was, how much of that can go around if you were to eat his flesh and drink his blood? That's a horrible thought, but if you take the that's what that means. If that's what it means, number two, only a few people in his time could do that and get eternal life because how much of his body could go around you, you see how grotesque this becomes it's not literal now how does he explain what does it mean about eating of his flesh and drinking his blood his life his, his, his body being given for you uh, look at verse 63 it is spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you, they spirit in their life. Now, when Jesus went to the cross and he died for the sins of the world, how is it that you partake of eating his flesh, drinking his blood? It cannot be material, it cannot be literal. It cannot, his, his death is literal. But you cannot literally eat of his flesh. You must spiritually partake of that. And that's what he means. When you eat food that you believe is good for you, you eat it. When you drink something you believe it's good for you, it's not dangerous, you, you you drink a bit. You believe that eating what you eat, drinking what you drink, is not dangerous to you. So by faith, you drink it, you eat it. That's partaking of it. So when he says, you eat my flesh, drink my blood, it is really saying, you must believe in me, you must trust in me. I'm going to be crucified for you. I'm going to give my body for you. I'm going to give my blood for you. You must partake of that. And it's like believing... As when you go to eat something, you believe, it's like, believe, trusting me, what I've done for you. So it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting what He would do for them, not a liberal statement. Now, of course, for the Roman Catholic Church and maybe others to have the Holy Eucharist, they believe that it mysteriously transforms into the literal body and blood of Christ. The big word is transubstantiation. Should I spell it for you? Or would you believe me that I know how to spell it? Trans. Trans substance. Trans change. Change. Trans substance, the substance changes from the 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 wafer, the for them is the wine, to the literal body and blood of Jesus. And so you partake of it. I went to the Catholic church one time because I was because I was um, kind of being a fundamentalist. No, I'm just kidding. You. I defundamentalized myself but um, there's a service funeral in uh, Kahala right by Kalani High School Saint something and so they gave uh, communion at this service for someone so I was watching what the priest was doing people line up for communion and they would do this and he would give them the wafer and he had a cup of wine so you lined up and you stood in front of him and he'd give a wafer to you, and then he would take a sip of the wine. Next, and by the time he was done, he was kind of wobbling on his drunk. So 200 people came down the middle aisle to get a wafer, but they never partook of the blood of Jesus. He took a sip every time he gave a wafer to one of the people in presence. That's a new way of doing that. Because before you know it, they take a sip of the cup well, it mysteriously changes into the body of love. Not true. Not true. That's what he means by that. So Jesus says, I have come, I have come to, for for two purposes, Uh, under the umbrella of doing his Father's will, business for him. Uh, He came, I would say, to be the source of life. He came to be the source of life. And he is the one who has come at Christmas, at his birth, to be the real source of life. A lot of folks think that if they have something material, something tangible, that they have real life. You realize that many many Americans, many people in this world, do not think that they need any spiritual life, but because they have something material to give them happiness. But like the Jews here needed something besides manna, they needed spiritual life. People still today need spiritual life. Material things can never satisfy, material things can never transform a person to become spiritual anymore could they become spiritual or have everlasting life by partaking, eating a finger bone, a finger of Jesus Christ. If they could do that, if that's what he meant, they would still never have eternal life. It's by believing in him, not by eating him. So we have to remember that Christmas is a great time, but it's about the Lord coming to fulfill his father's work and to do business for his father. He came to be the source of life. As manna gave life and sustenance and for a day at a time, Jesus Christ came to give life. The true source of life was in Him, in Him, not just for a day, but for eternity. Source of life, okay? Number two, the second piece of business Jesus came to do is that He came to be the source of light. The source of life and the source of light. Go back to John chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse number 12. Jesus Christ came to do His Father's business. His business was to be the source of life. He is the life source. Without Him, there could be no eternal life. John 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, I shall have the light of life. And then come to John chapter 9. Verse number 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Okay, so you have the references to light in regards to what Jesus came for. He says, He has come to be the light of the world. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Of course, He's not here anymore physically, but He has left the Holy Spirit with us. To live in us and in that sense he can still be with us and be the light of the world but here's a light of the world uh, the world is full of full of religion full of all kinds of people with all kinds of beliefs and all kinds of traditions and uh, yet the world is still a dark place spiritually and some countries some developing countries still very dark in every sense of the word Africa is called the dark continent for many good reasons And there are people in America that are living in darkness, even though they have a lot of illumination called flip on the switch, and there's light over here. So the lack of light, thus darkness, is not really connected to a physical switch, physical light illumination, headlight, headlamps and light in your home, not like that at all. But it does make the point that light is beneficial, light gives guidance, light allows you to work longer, you can read in the night, you don't have to depend on candlelight anymore sun goes down okay back in the old days uh you're done reading for the day except by candlelight by fireplace abraham lincoln was self-taught he was a homeschool child and uh, not meaning that um uh, anything except that's what it was like back then he just was a good reader he loved to read and he read by as the sun went down he, in fact he read so much sometimes he wasn't even working out in the field he got scolded a lot as a boy because he always wanted to read and not do his chores but he just loved to read night fell and then it's a candle or it's a fireplace. And so without illumination, you really can't do much. Uh, modern times is quite different, but even though you have modern things to make us have illumination, you can really be up 24 seven and uh, not have any downtime to do whatever you need to do. But having all of that mean doesn't mean you have the light of the world. You need to have light for life. Having light, Jesus Christ, equals having a real life. In, in John 10, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. So existing is one thing, but having a life that is happy, joyful, peaceful, a life of content and purpose, a life of, of, of a real, real substance, a life where you have purpose and meaning and all that, that comes from having light. So if you have Christ as your light, you then have something like guidance to guide you through this life and you get to see that material things are important like a car like a home like a roof over here like food that's all necessary things to have but light shows you there's more to life than just these things you have illumination spiritually and you get to see that there's some things more important than other things in this life some things are more valuable than some things in life um, now if you like sports or not the point is made that people have high value for sports. If their team wins, they're so happy. If their team wins, they're so sad. It's because the life that they have is of this world. And what they see uh, materially is all that matters to them. If they have a bank account that's full of money, they're pretty happy. Uh, Everybody would be happy, I think. But um, when that goes away, the stock market has gone down and all that. People are very dis- dis- distressed. Okay, maybe rightfully so. But uh, the Christian sees things differently because of the life that he has. He right. sees that this life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you right. possess. So if you possess everything but have no salvation, uh, it's like a man who has all these degrees behind his name, but he doesn't want to swing, falls off the boat. Uh, a man fell off a cruise ship. JR. I don't know how it happened, but he fell off a cruise ship. They rescued him. How could that happen? I don't think that cruise ship will, you know, rock and roll so much and you fall off maybe he was kind of tipsy I don't know but he fell overboard <laughs> that's a rare thing but uh, if you if you are a PhD of some sort you got everything the world thinks is great and you fell overboard didn't know how to swim what 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 good is that if you don't know how to swim you die I have been fascinated by how bears are suspicious vicious animals and sharks uh, a woman got killed, eaten by a shark in Hawaii. Did you know that last week sometime? Her husband and her and, and her husband, and she was swimming. She got separated, all of a sudden she's gone. And he thinks she saw the shark get her. Very tragic, very very horrible incident. And then I've read about, uh, about um, polar bears, polar bears going after people. They were, um, uh, husband and wife were diving somewhere was it, not Alaska, but they were diving and uh, uh, to was swimming among uh, seals or some other kind of creature like that. And all of a sudden he saw a uh, a polar bear come after his wife. And I couldn't have described to you because just horrible what happened. And uh, he saw before his very eyes what this polar bear did to his wife, unbelievably cruel. But to them it's just their instinct, it's just their nature. To them it's like, all right, God provided me a meal. If you, lose, if you lose the most valuable thing, which is your soul, then it really doesn't matter what you have in this world. Mm-hmm. But if your soul is possessed by God, it belongs to Him, you could have a few material things in this world, and you've got everything. I think Jesus said, What should I profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? It's not a good spot. So, having light helps us to see what is of real value. And so, He's a source of light, source of life, and a source of light. And if you're a saved man, woman, or boy, girl, you have a real advantage because you get to see things like the Lord wants to see things. You have a better life than people unsaved. And so, uh, that is that is why Christmas is important. This is why we are happy to acknowledge the birth of Christ, because of why he came about his Father's business, he came to give us, he came to be our source of life, and he came to be our source of light. We see things differently than the world sees things, right? We see Christmas as a a good time because of what it means to us. It's more than just a gift or two, it's more than just the the lights, it's more than the trees, it's more than all the, the fun, happy things about Christmas. Um, it's it's deeper than that deeper than that and so that's just for this morning I got something else from Matthew chapter 1 about God with us that was a bit longer but uh, I have a time restriction at 10 o'clock at at 9.30 so are there any questions? I ask you a question Jesus is the source of life okay, must I reteach the whole thing Jesus is the source of life He's a source of
1: life.
0: Number two, Jesus is a source of
1: light.
0: Okay, light, light, light. Source of life and light. You heard
1: of Eminem? This is L and (laughs) L.